Welcome. I'm Melissa Durda, and this is Scenario's Cultivate the Soul podcast. Stories of purpose-driven philanthropy from around the world. Over this series, we explore together the intersection of contemplative practices, spirituality, philanthropy, and social impact. Join us as we dive into the personal journey of each guest and what they have discovered about the role of inner work on one's capacity to change the world. To learn more about each of our guests and view our full episode list, please visit synergos.org slash podcast. I'm Tracy Farron. I am the founder and executive director of Life and Earth Art, and I cultivate my soul by fostering creativity in others and by collaborating to create healing art platforms. Today we are joined by Tracy Farron, founder and director of Life on Earth Art. Artist Tracy Farron founded Life on Earth Art to explore how the transformative power of art can help heal personal and collective trauma. By bringing people together to explore and raise awareness about injustices, Tracy aims to amplify relatedness, compassion, and healing. Tracy's full bio is available on our podcast website. So Tracy, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. My pleasure. So Tracy, I'd like to get us started by asking you to share a story from your life that was instrumental in shaping your views of what matters. There is no greater joy than finding yourself and your purpose in life. I look back on my childhood and I see how the strands of the challenges forged who I am. I grew up in Southern California in a small island in the center of San Diego Bay, Coronado, and I come from a line of educators, my father and grandfather before him. And I was born into um, a family with two much older brothers, uh, both of whom suffered from severe mental illness, the eldest Bob from paranoid schizophrenia. And this is perhaps the most challenging mental illness No one asks for a severe mental illness. And my brother, Bob, committed violent crimes. He spent the bulk of my childhood in jails and mental hospitals. I saw how society was fearful and the cascade of judgments uh, on our family and on him, and just the sense that he was dispensable. And at that time in the 80s, uh, when I was growing up, 70s and 80s, There weren't adequate mental health services for him, and the community really isolated the family. And so we were really facing what felt like a hopeless and ongoing situation. Yet in the face of that, my parents, they doubled down on compassion and kindness. And they not only did everything they could in their power to help my two brothers and to understand and seek answers, but they dedicated their lives and their careers to helping other people. And this is an incredible example and an incredible joy to have been their child. When I look at the situation, for me, however, it put me in a very interesting bind as a person. (laughs) Here I was, a young person in a household that had a lot of fear. My brother had delusions and decompensating episodes. And and so as a child, I, I spent a lot of time alone. 
And I developed a deep spiritual and creative sense. I loved story. I felt embraced by nature, by the environment, by strangers. Like the world was a magical world that I created. And I developed myself into a writer and an artist, very connected to dreams. And so as you learn about trauma, this is one of the positive things that comes from trauma is some of these abilities. But what happened was in my teen years, I wrote from dream, I was very creative, and I felt this connection, this deep connection to everything that is, the interdependence of everything. Those were the waters I was swimming in. As Joseph Campbell says, the schizophrenic drowns in the very same waters in which the mystic swims with delight. And when I was 13, there was a collision between my open curiosity and uh, my brother's madness. And there was a particular episode where I had a dream and I wrote it into a story. It was a gory Edgar Allan Poe story, not something I normally would write. And it was read out loud in class. And two months later, my brother is living in our basement and decompensates and ends up committing a crime that had elements of that story. And I suddenly looked at my life and I said, wow, creativity is dangerous. The lines between creativity and madness are very porous and I have to protect myself. And so what happened was I had all of this energy and natural ability as a creative, but I basically exiled myself from my own creativity at that time because being open to that flow was dangerous. And so this childhood, it's very interesting because on the one hand, there were the experiences that would lead me to be a natural teacher, therapist, social worker, work in public health. But I saw how grief and how consumed my parents were. So I was nervous to embark on that type of career, but I wanted to be have a creative career, but I actually had cut myself off from the talent of the creativity. So it was a, this double bind and I didn't know what to do. And what is so beautiful looking at, at the situation now as a public and community artist and here at Life on Earth Art is that those challenges, those traumatic experiences, and in a way being blocked for years has actually forged my path. And it's really beautiful now that in fact, I found a way to take the compassion and the desire to serve underserved populations with my creativity and my desire to foster wonder and story and creativity. And I found a way to put them together in an offering to the world in this healing platform of community art making. Wow, that is such a powerful story. Thank you for sharing that with us. And we're going to get more into your art and the change you're working on and impacting in a bit. But I first want to ask you, as an artist, what inspires you? You know, you mentioned that you were cut off from your creativity. So how did you find it again? And what inspires you in this work that you do? Well, I found myself in my 40s, having raised five children I had lost my compass. I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I grew up, right? I had the blessing of being at home, raising them. And I went to graduate school in Jungian psychology and creativity at Pacifica Graduate Institute. And what was so beautiful was my very first term there in a master's program, 
I was taking classes in Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung, and I discovered active imagination, which is a tool for deep work with your dreams and bringing dream symbols into dialogue in a safe and contained way. And so what happened was that very moment I entered a community that were all curious and seeking and looking at myth and symbols and art and history. It was this moment of return where I was able to go back to that 13-year-old self that I had said, hey, this isn't safe. And through my life experiences and through that community, I found the safety to open up to creative flow again and to trust. That's beautiful. So it wasn't until years later that you found this reconnection to your artist self and your creativity. Well, I can't say that it was always stoppered. Children and parenting is an enormously creative endeavor. And so I I found outlets and little outlets, but it was curious because I would have passion and ideas outside of the family and I wouldn't manifest them. And I didn't understand why. But the truth is that I think A huge component of creativity is surrender, and it is listening, and it is uh, creating the conditions to receive and then to take risks. And in a situation where I didn't understand a lot of the elements of the childhood trauma I was working with, where I was bound and I didn't even see the ways I was bound, but it was a mystery. And so it was really through this graduate program and the creative projects and working with my hands in a supportive community. The community element is is really essential. For me, I feel that the the childhood trauma and the ability to begin to unlock myself was the result of the childlike wonder and curiosity of embarking into the mythopoetic world, into symbols and creativity and and all of history, the collective unconscious. Um, But it was also having a a group of of supportive fellow searchers that created that support. And it's really the community and the wonder that I think create the conditions where we can begin to address some of the struggles, the deeper struggles that we all have. So you had this personal experience and growth and shift And you are also now applying this in different ways out in the world. So tell us, how did that come about? How did that connection happen? And tell us more about the work that you're doing. I look back and it's mysterious. It's full of synchronicities and magic, to be honest. In 2016, I had a dream. It was a couple months before Donald Trump was elected. And it was was what Carl Jung would call a big dream. And in this dream there was a young woman who was sacrificed and built into the basement wall of a castle. And there are other elements to it. But at the end of the dream, I'm in front of her. I am the murderer. And she is coming out from the wall, indomitable. I'm trying to stop her, but she is, she is a goddess and she cannot be stopped. And I woke up with my heart racing and this distinct joy in my heart that she was alive. And so I call her Walled Woman, and I wrote my master's thesis on this. But if you can imagine the symbol of a woman stuck in a wall who is finally emerging, what was so interesting about the thesis was my own personal story of being in my 40s and stuck was mirroring our societal journey of the immured female and what has happened in a patriarchal culture and how we need to rebalance our society 
And so the personal and the collective became intimately intertwined in the symbol and my healing journey. So my own personal healing journey, as I did all of this research on the walled woman, it took me into the divine feminine. It took me to the vestal virgins and the anchoresses. And, and it was fascinating because it, they're actually the practice of embedding women into walls, sacrificing them was an actual practice. Mirce Iliade uh, described it as foundational sacrifice, where uh, women were used as an intermediary between man and God and made buildings sacred. This may get too, too much. I'm working on a book about this. But what happened is as I did all of this research through myth and history, and I worked in active imagination, in active imagination, I was inspired to create art. So I began to work with my hands, create conceptual art, photographs, poetry. I built brick walls in my Victorian home with me embedded in them. And I had myself photographed. My family did not know what was happening. They were like, what is happening to mom? What, what is going on? And it was this emergence. And so there was a particular moment where I had created a brick wall to go over a Victorian bathtub. I was having myself photographed. We had dry ice. I had makeup, my face is in the wall. And my husband, who is uh, Mark, who is very left-brained, scientific type, he surrendered and he said, I'll do anything you need. I'll help you, right? So what happened is I had this inspiration that the woman in the bathtub needed to release a winged heart. So even though she was still stuck, she wanted to release her heart to the world, and so my husband, we had this heart, it was on a broomstick and filament, and he helped release the heart from the bathtub. And I point to this moment as a significant shift in my life and a shift in our marriage where the masculine was supporting the feminine in whatever visionary idea she had that other people thought, <laughs> what, a, what is going on? He supported me. And what happened was I began to come out of the wall as an artist, as a woman, as a person. And after that, I began to give talks at Jungian conferences and at art therapy conferences, and opportunities began to come my way. And what I found was the image of the woman embedded in the wall merged into the image of the caged winged heart, which to me is a symbol of deep grief. Like the winged heart is what is most sacred. And here it is in a cage. It is a symbolic tragedy, and it's also hauntingly beautiful. It rides that edge of beauty and terror. And so what happened was I began to have these synchronicities where I was invited by Oakland artist Ruben Guzman to partner to create a large-scale artwork for the Museum of Sonoma County. And due to my history with my brothers, the theme of that exhibit was roots. And I, I thought, well, what roots do I have to Sonoma County? I now live here, but at the time I did not. And I immediately thought of Sonoma State Hospital because my brother had been in so many state hospitals. He had not been there, but in many others. And I researched and found history of medical experimentation on children in the 1950s, 60s who were in that hospital. Children with cerebral palsy who were recruited out of their family homes to be experimented on without the parents' consent or, of course, the children's consent. 
And this burst in my chest. This enraged me, The just the horror of this. And it resonated because my brother was also the subject of medical experiments and just the idea that you're treating people as dispensable in that way. And so I phoned up Ruben and I said, I've got the artwork. Let's build a 15 foot high cage with dozens of winged hearts flying to freedom as a way to symbolically witness, witness the horror and also take action to come together to symbolically set them free. And so that was really the start of Life on Earth Art is we made the winged hearts out of paper mache in a traditional cartoneria method. And as we were creating that exhibit, we had a tight deadline. And so, and I didn't have an art studio at the time. And so we had people coming to my house from eight in the morning till eight at night. Friends came after work because we had to make these hearts. And what happened is as people were pushing the paper into the molds, they began to tell their stories. And at that time, children were being caged at the border. The Brett Kavanaugh, Christine Blasey Ford hearings were happening. And there was a lot of collective pain. And so what I saw over the weeks that we were making these hearts was just a beautiful, tender community where people could come and be human and create something beautiful. And I got it. I like I saw it and I experienced it. And so we had that installation and people said, gosh, it has to tour. Where can I make a heart? And that's how we began to develop the process. And that was in 2018. And we had 51 hearts. And I'm really excited to share that over the last four years, we've developed the modality, we've become a nonprofit, and we entered into really, for me, an incredible healing project, which I'm sure you can see is full circle healing, where I had the opportunity to work with a state psychiatric facility, Napa State Hospital, exactly the same type of facilities that my brother spent my childhood in. And I was able to partner with their rehabilitation therapy services uh, department and 70 therapists, art, music, dance, rehabilitation, occupational therapy, to create a year-long program of healing based around this symbol of hearts flooding out of a cage. And so we created Unbound, and it is an 80-foot sculpture with over 769 hearts. And it involved 1,500 people, 500 psychiatric patients, 200 staff, and 800 community members. And there's just something that is so resonated about the mission, the healing mission. It's a beacon. People want to help each other. People have compassion. People want to connect. And people also want to express and to feel. And so that's where, as I look at my journey and my desire to help, and also my desire to create and express, somehow in this journey, all of these things have been deliciously woven together into a service mission. Yeah. Well, I saw some of the videos on Unbound online, and they're just so incredibly beautiful. This podcast doesn't have visuals, but I definitely recommend that the listeners check that out and watch the videos. What I particularly found so beautiful was this intersection between the patients, the doctors, or those working at the facilities, as well as the community in creating this. So this seemed like this was really a joint effort of so many different kinds of people. What kind of shifts maybe could give us an example of something that's really memorable to you about either 
an impact that this has had on a person or on a group of people? In working with Camille Gentry and her team at the hospital, our goal was really to destigmatize mental illness and to humanize the patients at Napa. And we had some significant difficulties because you can't show their face, you can't share their name, you have these limits. And so we designed a couple of techniques to be able to build bridges between the outside community and the community inside those walls. I'm very proud of them. You know, I I feel that this is a model to replicate. One of the things that we created was that they do movement therapy. And we brainstormed because the hall has all of these, not only the hearts, but it's lit. So you have all these shadows of hearts as well, is that we bought the hospital a 12 by 12 foot screen behind which the patients could dance and express and they could be filmed. So their dance and their visage could be documented and shown to the outside world. And many of these patients had never seen themselves on video. And so the whole idea that they were able to express and be seen was incredibly healing. They also wrote songs in their music therapy class, a collective song, and the music therapist came to our studio to record our volunteers singing on the chorus so that the song wasn't just patients or the community. We are a human family. We are together. And we did the same thing with the hearts because we can't photograph the patient's faces, but we can photograph their hands. So we would photograph patients holding their hearts, just their heart in their hands, and duplicate that strategy in the studio workshop. So volunteers would do the same. And then we could edit those hands and hearts together. So so there wasn't an outside or an inside. And for me, hearing from the therapist, the power of this for the patients is just incredibly moving. There are two stories I'd love to share. One is a, a young woman who had been maybe a little, had kept the project at a distance. And then she came in to experience the 80-foot sculpture. The sculpture has a birdcage that has seven glowing winged hearts in it. And then hundreds burst out from the cage and get bigger and bigger. And Pouring out of the side of the cage is this black tar, uh, which is my embodiment of trauma. And this black tar floods out of the cage on and pools on the floor. And so this, this young woman takes in the sculpture and then shares with her therapist. She's really moved. She says, I have spent my life in that blackness. And now that I'm here and I'm having treatment, I can express myself. I feel more colorful. I know that I'm up here pointing to the hearts that are flying free. It uplifted her. It validated her. And she shared, too, that we have these metal ribbons that are curved onto which the hearts are attached. And she appreciated the fact that all of the metal ribbons were curved and not straight, and that this spoke to her that it's okay that her path has not been straight. And it's just these things are operating at a deeply symbolic and healing level. But also concretely, there was a therapist who was working with a group where there was a gentleman who was medication resistant, who really couldn't take part in groups. He would be there for five minutes, and then he'd have to pace the halls and not attend. But with the unbound process of doing the paper mache over time, you know, all the different steps, he got involved and he was able and wanted to 
sit for 30 minutes doing the different stages. He, you know, at times maybe he would paint something and it would be too much. And he'd turn to a colleague and say, hey, I've gone this far. Can you do more for me? Okay. And this is not something he did. And at the end, the whole group went and experienced the sculpture. And there's a lot of joy hearing about how patients walk into this hall and their joy at finding their heart amidst the 800, their sense of empowerment and agency. And so this gentleman actually sat in the group and shared his reflections. And the therapist said he had worked with this gentleman for years and that he had not seen the ability for this involvement and for this sociability that he had. That to me is like, wow, yes, yes, yes. And that's one of the things I'm most proud of about this project is that, and this is what we do at Life on Earth Art, is really radical inclusion. And with the process of whether you're ripping paper or putting the paper mache into the molds or putting the hearts together, painting them, hanging them, there's a place for everyone every ability level. There is a place to include and be part of. That is something that is very, very dear to me about the project. Wow. Those are very powerful examples. As you were speaking, what struck me, because you said the Unbound process, so this project is called Unbound. What does Unbound mean to you in its name? Unbound to me is about releasing layers, layers of experience that might hold us back releasing misconceptions, releasing stories that are no longer true, things that keep us perhaps stuck or in a state of disconnection. And for me, Unbound in Life on Earth Art, the whole journey that I've been on is really, it's forged by that deep loneliness and sense of hopelessness in childhood. But this community healing art project is like an enormous Aikido move on that hopelessness. It is about epic connection, epic inclusion, and healing. And what's so beautiful about Unbound is the layers by which you connect. So when you sit and you put piece after piece of paper into the mold, there's something spiritually, psychologically that is happening. It's alchemical, it's transformational. And you're not only doing it by yourself, you're doing it around the table with other people. And then the result of it, the beautiful winged heart, is then part of a large-scale installation or social action or public ritual. And so these uplifting hearts then go out into service in the world. And so one thing that we're doing, which I wanted to share with you, is that we've created what we call our Follow Your Heart program. And what this is, is that if you take part in making a heart, it doesn't matter what element, you could be ripping paper, painting, any element, you are invited to share your artist statement, your wish for the world, or your an expression. There's a list of things you can share. And all of the people who work on one heart are part of that heart's family. We're using NFC chips and we're figuring out exactly how we can have those stories and individuals attached to that heart. So when that heart goes out and is maybe at a social action at the border, or it is uplifting people in a shelter, the people who have worked on the heart will get a notification of where their heart is in service. And so then there's an opportunity to learn about a social cause, to learn about good organizations on the ground doing work. And there's all this interplay of story and action. 
And that for me is what is so exciting about life on earth is that there's this macro and micro level healing. You have the working with your hands in a supportive community towards a work of wonder, okay? And this is working on really helping knit parts of yourself together. But then in community, with awareness, with education, with these large-scale interactive works, we are approaching social issues and social problems in a way that I think is working at a spiritual symbolic level to illustrate concretely our interdependence, that we are all one, that we need each other to solve these systemic problems, and that we need to approach ourselves and the world from a paradigm of love and interdependence, not fear and division. And so that's where it's so exciting to me where this is going, because there is such a beautiful agency and empowerment when you are able to be a human with other humans, and then find a way to inspire and assist and connect with other people. And somehow, like through this childhood, there are many years where I was stuck and I had a lot of unacknowledged grief and I felt very isolated, even when from the outside world, I shouldn't be isolated. It makes no sense. But I was suffering alone and I didn't know why. That really informs my passion for for this connection, for this healing work. And I feel that it's really approaching social change from an ethos of well-being, of interdependence, and from the inside out. Well, the work that you do sounds really important, and you are using hearts as symbols, but you're connecting to hearts as you do this work. How can people learn more about this work? Is there a website that they can go to? Yes, please come see our website at lifeonearthart.org. We are actively looking to partner with different organizations to really spread the work. Right now, we are running programs for teenagers. We've designed an eight-part heart space workshop that we're rolling out into schools in Sonoma County in California. And we've also begun work with veteran communities. And so what's so exciting to me is by bringing people into their hearts, there is just in many ways unlimited potential for how the project can go out and heal and activate and also draw attention to important social issues and action. I would love to talk to potential partners and, and people who are interested in collaborating. Wonderful. Well, I'm sure they'll reach out to you after listening to this podcast. And we also look forward to sharing this with our global philanthropist circle group, which is a community of dedicated philanthropists around the world. And as we've been speaking, I've already thought of a list of people that I will make sure to send this podcast to. So Tracy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you sharing your story and for sharing the work that you do and look forward to seeing how this continues to grow into the new year and beyond. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being here. What I enjoyed about this conversation with Tracy is learning how she was able to transform her personal trauma to help others, how she's using art for healing, for connection, and to raise awareness about social justice issues to affect change. 